So Money episode 129, El Martinez. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest is Elle Martinez. She's a personal finance blogger and online entrepreneur. She is the founder of CoupleMoney.com and a weekly podcast called Couple Money Podcast. And on the podcast, she teaches couples and families how to live on one income and have fun with the second. She also shares information about what matters most to couples, looking at spending more time on what they love and less time on the financial minutiae. Also, in addition to Couple Money, Elle has been a contributing and guest writer at sites like TurboTax, Go Banking Rates, Lending Tree, and Yakesy. Three takeaways from our interview, the biggest money mistake couples make and how to fix it, how to have a productive money meeting with your partner, and why asking why is one of the most important questions when it comes to getting out of debt. Here is El Martinez. El Martinez, welcome to So Money. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you doing today? Oh, thanks for asking. I'm doing great. You know, we are recording this on the Monday after Mother's Day. (laughs) We're both mothers, and I was happy to hear that you got some rest. I also took a two-hour nap. I did not even apologize. I just left the room. (laughs) You deserve it. (laughs) We were outside with my in-laws and uh, my sister-in-law and my husband and my son, and I was like, I just left. I didn't even I didn't want to like bring attention to myself, so I just went and took a nap for 2 hours and that was the best gift anyone could have given me. That that really is just to have time for yourself and time just to recharge. Um, you know, when you have a, a little one or in my case two little ones, that is uh precious time that you don't often get. Yes. And you are juggling so much, Elle. On top of being a mom, you are uh, writing everywhere. I see your byline in so many places, uh, TurboTax, uh, your lending tree, Yakesy, um, Go Banking Rates, your own site, couplemoney.com. You've also got a, a podcast, a weekly podcast, which I'm really excited about. How's that going? Um, it is a learning experience and I love it. Um, as you know, one of the best things about having a podcast is talking to interesting people about topics that matter to you and to others. So I'm learning so much every, every time I interview someone. Now you've decided to make couples and money your niche. Why? I think there's a lot of material uh, about personal finance uh, in general. But I didn't, at that time when I started, find a lot that addressed the emotional part with money and, and couples. Because uh, at least my experience and with my friends is that you have two complete personalities and it seems like opposites attract. And how do you find that balance between taking care of your finances and also growing your marriage. Because I think you can do both. Uh, but I do know that it does take some effort. What's the biggest problem you think couples face when it comes to money? I think the first thing is a system um, that couples have. Everyone has a different style. And money is an intimate uh, topic. And how we handle money before 
uh, we get married and how we handle our money afterwards can be uh, like a 180 change. And I think sitting down and finding a way to appreciate and use both of your talents is absolutely crucial. We're going to talk a little bit more about your personal experience with money and maybe even how you manage it, manage it in your own relationship. But before, just one other highlight that you're, uh, that we should celebrate that ne- later this year, you'll be at FinCon 15. I will too. And you'll be giving a presentation. Tell us about what you'll be talking about. Well, I'm so excited about that. Um, I'm going to be part of a panel and we're talking about build your business and brand with a mastermind group. And that's something that, I started um, taking seriously, I think, but towards the end of last year, as we we're about to have the baby, of course, all life changes seems to happen in, in groups. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a tremendous experience so far. And the group that I'm in is just so supportive, so encouraging. And they push you, you know, you have to have that kind of push professionally, personally, everything. Um, and I just want to share that information with others. P- masterminds are on a hot streak right now. I've been asked to join a few in the last few months um, myself, and I know that they've that there are some really successful ones out there. For those of us listening who are like, "What the heck is a mastermind?" <laughs> Can you share a little bit about how, like, three tips for if you want? And, and basically, a mastermind is a collection of a, a group of like-minded. Um, like goal-oriented people, probably best to be from different parts of the world. Like, you know, you don't want everyone who's a financial expert in a mastermind, but maybe that could work. I don't know, but it's important to get like a diverse group. Mm-hmm. And then you try to, you, you're each other's accountability partners. You have meetings. Uh, in your experience, what are the best best ways to structure this and to make it successful? I would And I I was invited uh, into this mastermind, but I would say when you assemble your group, it's almost like you are dating. (laughs) Uh, You are looking for a relationship that is mutually beneficial and supportive. So like you mentioned, you're not looking for a carbon copy person that's in the exact same niche doing the exact same things. You do want some overlap because you want some common ground. But uh, when you put together a team, you'll notice that there are those that are much more uh, analytical, very good at organizing. There are those that are uh, more encouraging. And when you are hitting a tough spot, they're the ones that you contact. And I think you have to establish your roles. And it part of it does happen organically, but at least start with some ground rules that you can all agree with. And from there, you can grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Very true. You got to have those rules and boundaries. And I've had to break up with a, a mastermind in the past. As you said, it's like a date or dating. Yes. Uh, Elle, let's talk about your financial philosophy. You've been in this space now for uh, about, you said about seven, eight years? Yes. And before this, you were working in operation management, supply chain management in the banking sector. So to transition now to writing about personal finance, specifically for couples, um, you know, that we want to, I want to talk about that transition, but first let's discover your financial philosophy. What is it? What's your money mantra? Uh, believe it or not, it has nothing exactly to do with the numbers. It's remember the why. And I say that because as we worked through our finances and hearing from others, I used to be that person that would say, okay, when you, when you talk about money, you have to know exactly where you are. You have to know the numbers. And that's important, but 
it's not as important as establishing why you want to do something and reminding yourself. Uh, for example, you know, a lot of couples, one of the first goals they have is to get out of uh, debt. And why do you want to get out of debt? And sitting, sitting down and talking about that and then constantly reminding yourself is a way for you to be on the same side. So it's you and your, your spouse against the debt versus you guys fighting each other over, you know, who got us into more debt. It's right. kind of realigning. Yes. And it's important to have a higher purpose because sometimes, you know, we, we, we understand the benefits of being out of debt. We get that. But really to mobilize ourselves to go from the couch to actually getting out of debt and be debt free, you need a carrot. You know, you need something motivating, some sort of silver lining to it all because it's it's a process getting out of debt. It's not easy. It's mm-hmm. very discouraging. It's easy to say, you know what, I'm just never going to, I can't. Um, but to have a reminder of the why I think is really important. Um, did you and your husband have any debt when you got married? <laughs> so uh, there's a story with that. Um, we like stories on so many. <laughs> so before we got married, uh, one thing we knew for sure we wanted to do was talk about where we were financially. And at that time, when we started dating, we were both in college. He was a year ahead of me. Um, and so when we were engaged, he was just out a few months, um, graduated. And uh, I would say we lived the same lifestyle. So on the surface, I thought we were exactly on the same page with finances. Uh, but when we sat down and looked at the numbers, I was the one in debt. Um, I had the credit cards. I had the car loan. I had some student loan. And then on his side, he had one semester's worth of a student loan that he was going to pay off as soon as the grace period was over. So that was an awkward money chat and something I completely understand when people tell me they, they're they afraid to talk about the numbers. But um, that that was something that taught me that there's a different way to you know live with your finances and to handle finances. Who would you say is better at managing money in your relationship and why? I'm more proactive. I know that there you always hear there's a saver and there's a spender. Um most people I see we spend we just spend on different things. Um he is very analytical and he's a software developer. So the the very small details he's absolutely good with. I am once I'm energized on something, I want to set it up. I want to get it done. So when it came to automating automating our finances, I was the one to set that up. Have you ever had a failure of finance? I mean, you you talk about having in the beginning of your marriage not being so not being the one that was exactly financially buttoned up. But then, in general, would you say you've ever had a huge financial failure? I would have to say. Buying that car, my old Jetta, uh, was a financial failure because at that time I was a working college student on a limited budget. And previously, you know, I was doing really good. I was buying, you know, these these cars for $500 or $1,000 and until they broke down, I just, you know, drove them. They weren't fancy at all. But um, I had, uh, my grandmother had passed away. And I think just the emotion between that and just the stress of everything, I felt like, you know what, I deserve to have something nice. This car, I could, quote, afford the payments. And I went ahead and I bought that. And 
one of the signs should have been that they wanted me to have a co-signer, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't see that. And that was a looking back an emotional decision that it basically was a weight around my neck. I had a car payment that I was stuck with. I had to make sure that I'd always focus on, you know, having work while going to school because I had that loan. You said something interesting was that you felt as though you kind of deserved that car, right? Yes. And I hear this from people occasionally, people who are living um, to the edge, you know, they are spending uh, just as much as they make. There's really not a lot of wiggle room and they have really nice shiny objects. They have nice things and they're struggling because they're not able to save. But then they, there is this undercurrent of this feeling like entitlement. Like I should be able to have these things because I work hard and I, I clearly, I make enough money on paper, but it's not, it's not working out for me. And I, I, I would like to kind of highlight that entitlement aspect of that situation. And where does that come from? What is the root of that? Do you find often in, in your perhaps in counseling couples or, or working with couples, writing about couples? Well, I think as you point out, it's kind of that a lot of people, they do work hard, you know, and they are trying to, to make ends meet and you feel frustrated and you kind of want something to have to make you feel better in, in a sense. And for me, I had to learn that there are long-term benefits. I can, I can feel better. I can have accomplishments for things that aren't so uh, short-sighted, you know, not so much with the, uh, the cars and the fancy stuff, but um, taking care of being able to take care of my family, having savings, because um, if someone has a rough patch, I can help them out now. Um, so I've replaced the objects now with, I guess I would call more freedom and more flexibility um, and to me, that that is a much more rewarding um, goal to, to work towards. It's priceless. Yeah. Having freedom, having some just I find that also when you start to make more money and continue to live below your means at the same standard, uh, you really start to appreciate the value of a dollar a lot more. And the things that you thought you wanted when you were living, when you had a sort of cash strapped existence uh, you realize you didn't really care for them now that you actually have the money to, to choose how to spend. Yeah, and you look back and you don't have as much joy from those objects. Mm-hmm. And also you realize, you know, what kind of car you drive isn't as important as you think it is. If it's, it, I mean, I'm not saying dr- drive a jalopy or, <laughs> you know, a beater, uh, but look at your long-term goals. And now for us, we actually don't have any car loans. We buy our cars with cash. Yes. Yes. How did you learn about money, L? Describe your upbringing a little bit for us. And, and let's transition now to talking about your biggest money memory as a kid growing up. Uh, that is a good one. So I got, I think like a lot of people, pieces from different parts of my family. Like I would say my grandmother definitely was a frugal woman and, uh, she taught me to, you know, be content, uh, with the things that you have around you. Um, my parents, I would say, taught me to find whatever work or whatever career you go to, make sure you love what you do. Um, my father was a graphic designer and my mother was a teacher. So to, you know, for me, that was a, a big thing. Uh, no matter where I worked at, I wanted to enjoy what I do. And that stuck with me. 
And they also encouraged me to work, to try out different things. And I was a kid that had like 20 different businesses at any time. (laughs) (laughs) I did the recycling run um, all through the neighborhood, got some cash for that. I would actually put on, believe it or not, these bike stunt shows. I thought I was evil Knievel. I had no talent, (laughs) but um, I would do that for the neighborhood. And it just something about generating money by myself, doing something that I enjoyed kind of stuck with me. Well, and perhaps as an adult, when you were working in supply chain management, not to say you weren't happy, but you were perhaps wanting a different kind of career, you transitioned over to full-time writing. How did that happen for you? What was the genesis? At what point were you like, I can't do this anymore? So what happened was I we took uh, I took the job in Raleigh. That was one of the uh, decisions we had make um, had made as a couple that we were going to move out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and whoever got the job, we'd go there. Um, and I did enjoy the work, but there were certain parts to the job I did not like. Um, I'm definitely one of those independent workers. You give me a goal, and I'm going to achieve it. I don't like being micromanaged, and I kind of felt like that. And my husband had noticed that and he was, um, you know, looking for a job and he finally found one uh, with software development that he really enjoyed. And he saw that I was unhappy and he knew that I was uh, working on the side, uh, not blogging, but creating content for a friend who had a web design uh, company. And he said, you know, why don't you try this out? Why don't you make the leap? We have some savings. Uh, You're really good at, at writing and you know, it's something that you enjoy because you're, you know, you're doing this on the side on top of having a full-time job. And, you know, with his support and knowing that we did have that safety net, which is why I always stress, you know, give yourself that freedom, cut back where you can, so you can take these risks and make these leaps. Um, I transitioned into that and I haven't looked back. I love that. Wasn't it a little scary though at first? It was for me. Um, I think I'm, you have this idea or, or, or a myth or this this fantasy that anyone who is an entrepreneur or solopreneur is a risk taker. And to a degree, that's true. But a lot of the successful ones, I notice, they don't just jump in blind. So I knew that there was a chance that this would fail. And, um, you know, having that income was important to me because I wanted to, you know, make sure that we get out of debt. Mm-hmm. So making that leap, I was nervous. But having my husband's support and running the numbers and talking about it, I got excited and I just went ahead and made that transition. How do you, I'm always interested in asking freelancers, how do you go from finding one job to the next? And and is how much of a hustle is it really? Or does it, you get to a point where people just find you? I think there does come a point um, where people do find you. I think it is absolutely crucial that you give the very best, whatever assignment it is, um, to the people um, that you have a contract with or your clients. And when you're done and you know that they are satisfied, go ahead and ask, do you know anyone else that could use my talents? Don't be afraid. I was at first. Um, but as my husband pointed out, you are helping someone else. They are very happy with your work. Why aren't you putting yourself out there and just ask, what's the worst they're going to say? No. 
but you know, at least they know that you're looking for work and they will pass on. And that was absolutely essential for the first few years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's talk success. I asked you about failure and now let's talk about some successes that you've had or one money, so money moment, L that you're really proud of. It's kind of related to being a, a solar, a uh, solopreneur, but, um, making the leap into more of projects for um, my business versus taking on outside clients, um, especially right now we're in the middle of a another life transition. We have our second child. She's three months old. Look, pre- looking at the, the practicality of uh, working from home and meeting up with people and raising the girls, you know, we saw that it would be in our best interest for me to have more control. So that meant um, taking on new projects like the podcast where I can have a schedule that works around my family. And that's very important to me. And I feel like that was a huge win. You know, we saved up for it uh, because, as you know, a podcast is it is free to publish. But if you want to do something good, you have to invest in it, your time, your talent and yes, some money. So that, to me, uh, was a huge financial win, and it's something I discovered that I really love and really enjoy. Isn't it great? It's it's a whole different way of uh, learning and communicating, and I think that listeners really appreciate – they do appreciate the effort. I, I hear from listeners all the time saying, you know, actually, slow it down, Farnoosh. <laughs> it's too much. We're, we're, we're worried <laughs> yes. that you're working too hard. Um so that's that's always nice to hear. And um, I used to say that everybody should write a book. Everyone's got a book inside them, you know, whether it's your life story or something that you've learned over the years that you want to share. And it couldn't, doesn't have to be like a 300-page book, but it could be like a, sm- a little mini book, an e-book. Now I'm like, everyone should start a podcast. <laughs> it, I mean, well, you know, there's so many facets to doing a podcast. Um, there is, of course, the, the interviews, which I absolutely love. Uh, it gives me experience excuse to also read more. Um, I love also the back end, the more technical aspects with the audio. I'm learning something new every every week. You know, I'm trying something different with the uh, podcast because I want to make it better. And then just the, the big picture about finances and learning other people's stories. Uh, this has been, I, I know I'm, I started to help out others, but I feel like we've been helped so much by this. Absolutely. Well, you and your husband seem to have a lot of good habits down, uh, you know, in terms of speaking to each other about money, looking at the numbers, asking the why, remembering the why. What would you say is your number one habit that helps keep your finances in check that you would like to see more people do? I would say our money dates, which sounds so nerdy and (laughs) so personal finance blogger like, but I like when that first discussion where we found out where we stood financially. Yes, that was completely awkward. And I've, I felt just, to be honest, embarrassed that I had so much debt. But at the same time, it was so freeing to be so open and honest with someone. And it also allowed me to see a side of him I hadn't seen before. He was very supportive when we got married. It was no longer my debt. It was our debt. Um, so I encourage, you know, especially with couples, talk about money. You do not have to make it a sit down with the spreadsheets moment. You know, have a glass of wine, relax, go to the coffee shop. And again, you know, start off with your your goals and your dreams. What do you want to do? Because you're going to have personal goals. 
you know, we're still two people, even though we became one, we're still two individuals. You're going to have family goals and then you're going to have your professional goals. So that is a wonderful way to bond together and to find um, a common ground that you can work towards. So just to ask a few more specifics about the money date, as you are the money and uh, couples expert, how often do you have these dates and how well prepared do you come to these dates? So I would say, first of all, it's going to change just like the way you talk when you were first married was one way. And now, you know, we're been married eight years. So uh, there's a comfort level there. Um, I would say just sit down and um, it took us. We would have these like I would call our chats where it would be just about money. But now, honestly, it's like maybe 10 minutes hmm. um, uh, like every other week, just, you know, every paycheck uh, to make sure everything's fine. And then we're more focused now on actually uh, our purpose. You know, within the next year, we ho- hope to get uh, another house, uh, sell this townhouse and move to a bigger home. You know, and we're talking about uh, projects that I have for work and some goals that he has. So it used to be like 80-20 focused on the numbers, but now it's the opposite. Now it's focused on the goals and then, okay, well, house, you know, household or housekeeping, what are the numbers? Where do we stand now? That's interesting that you pointed that out, that the more, um, the longer you're married, the more you know about each other. These meetings don't have to be, you know, hours long, that they're just more check-ins. Yeah. And I, I always say, if you if you have a money chat and it starts getting tense, do not feel bad. Just break it off. You can always come back, uh, you know, the next day uh, because sometimes those first or those initial discussions, um, since money can be so emotional, it's okay to diffuse it by taking a step back. I think people feel like they kind of have to attack it. And that's not that's not the point. When you When you build up your marriage and you work together, you're going to be so much more successful with the numbers. So, you know, always put your marriage first mm-hmm. in that context. And then, you know, when, when you have cooler heads, then you can always uh, work through the harder problems. I love it. I love it. All right, Elle, are you ready for some so money fill in the blanks? Okay, I think I am. <laughs> Got my coffee. Okay, good. I haven't had my coffee yet, so you're doing better than I am. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is... Um, actually, I think I would gather my mom and a few of my closest friends. And I, I was thinking maybe like starting a foundation um, to to give to causes that are important to us. But also I am discovered something new like social impact lending, mm-hmm. which I'm kind of interested in, where you're, you're looking for something sustainable that um, like benefits Kiva? society. Yeah, something similar to Kiva. Um, and also like something like um, – where you're investing in businesses that basically um, make a profit but do well for the community. So a mix of different things, but like a, a little foundation. That's wonderful. And maybe you'd maybe go on a vacation or something, right? You do something for yourself. I, I, I You know what? I think I would find an excuse uh, to own a few homes around the world. I don't mm-hmm. need big homes. I just, you know, I have a, a summer home, a, a spring home. Yes. <laughs> a little pied mm-hmm. Yes. One thing that makes my life easier or better is? I would say I need my bedding and and huh. those nightshade curtains. I need my sleep. I will spend money 
<laughs> we when we go to hotels, I'm not kidding. I I will look at the tags like, oh my goodness, this is such a comfortable pillow. We have to get this, or you know, duvet. And I love a good night's rest. I think that is essential. And when you become a parent, <laughs> wow. it is crucial. So I you will just spend money me, on that. <laughs> you just made me rethink my bedding. You should try. It's it's made a huge difference for me. Um, I might nice. follow up with you after this and find out what the brands are. <laughs> what brand name pillow do you have? Uh, sleep. Uh, what is it? Um, sleep Number makes some pretty awesome pillows. Um, I know they're known for their mattresses, but their um, accessories are also fantastic, and their sheets are divine. So they do. And I did sheet like when we moved to our house. I I may have put certain things on that list. So, so I could get a good night's like here. Here are the pillows. So I have to pull that up where our registry was. That's a unique, not that's a unique answer. I've never had anyone say that before, but I, I will. I love it. I, I'm going to write that down. Okay. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on, maybe a little too much, and besides your, you know, um, your down comforter, <laughs> is what? Okay, this sounds weird. Books, and I know. Okay, I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why it backfires. Um, I love to read. I've always done this. And we have a very good library, but all the books I want to read are always on hold. And there's like 25 or 30 people ahead of us. So I will buy like Amazon like crazy. I'll have a, a whole cart of books. The, the reason that backfires is by the time I get to those books, it probably would have been the same as the weight with the, the library. Oh, yeah. But uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to hear that your library is hopping. <laughs> I used to think that libraries were – I mean, now I know how libraries – they're really making a comeback. But there was a period of time where I felt as though people were really neglecting the benefits and resources that were at the library. Was it just a place to drop your kids off and, you know, maybe take out a a really old book? Like this is this is where you can do everything now. They really have become like these like media centers and they're almost like their own community centers or at least the ones around yeah. uh, my neighborhood. Yeah, I've, I've had people call into this podcast from their local library. The Wi-Fi is that good. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I'm not sure where they're doing it from. They might be you – know, hopefully they're not disturbing people around them. But um, but yeah, I, that is uh, – but I'm also a big Amazon – Shopper, I I will admit, as as a parent too, you know, like every day there's something coming, whether it's diapers or um, formula or anything. All oh, of the yeah. above. I'm an Amazon mom, um, but you know they have such good deals on diapers. I will say that. Yes, um, they do. And then you do get those discounts, so take advantage of that. One thing I wish I learned about money growing up is, I wish I learned about uh, more about investing. I was very fortunate. Um, that one of my bosses, uh, I think it was early 20s, talked to us, like literally sat down the office and talked to us about the importance of investing even a certain percentage to get the match and why that is essential to do it now rather than later. Um, that was really good. Um, I just wish I'd known that earlier because time is really such a huge advantage um, that that's something I wish I learned sooner. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like you got it soon enough, that that tip, right? Yes. Yes. So that was good. Um, and I, I I wish I like put more in, but mm -hmm. you, you do what you, you can when yeah. you have the time. Yeah. It's something that I tell millennials all the time. It's 
there's this sentiment when you're 23 that I have the rest of my life to save. And that's sort of true, but, but I tell you, when I talk to people in their 30s and 40s and older, the biggest financial regret often is not having started sooner to save or saving as much. So there you mm-hmm. go. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because... I would have to say Donors Choose is one of my favorites um, because I know the difference teachers can make. Um, I'm a daughter of a teacher. I have a lot of family in the education profession, and I see them literally work 12 hours a day because they want to do right by the kids that they take care of. And I love also how Donors Choose, you literally on the the classroom level, and you can pick the projects um that you feel would be the biggest impact. I love that. I was just part of a camp up. Uh, I guess it was a contest. I was a judge to pick one of the best um, like financial. There are a bunch of teachers out there who want to start financial literacy programs in their schools. So they mm-hmm. all had different pitches and they had them on donors choose. And a lot of them were already funded. But on top of that, there was a contest that was being um, held that I was judging where we picked, we ranked them from one to 10 and the winner, the top winner got like $50,000 on top of what they had asked for to oh. further develop their idea. And so there's so many great, great initiatives on Donors Choose. It's worth browsing at the very least. Yeah. And I feel like just the the idea that you can search for what matters to you, you know, it could be the subject matter. It could be maybe um, high need school or you, if you want to just give locally, you have that power. So I love anything that can connect people uh, to others on their passions um, is a fantastic way to give of your money. Absolutely. And last but not least, I'm El Martinez and I'm so money because... I have a purpose for my money and I want to help others do the same. I love it so much. Thank you so much. Elle, tell us where we can learn more about you. Well, you can uh, see me at couplemoney.com and also you can check out the podcast every week. I put out a new one at couplemoneypodcast.com. We will check that out. We'll have all the links for everybody back at somoneypodcast.com. Elle, thanks so much and happy, uh, I'm going to still wish you happy Mother's Day because every day should be Mother's Day. So true. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thanks so much. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Elle, head over to somoneypodcast.com. There are also the transcript from this interview and the comments. And I want to hear from you. Submit your question about money, work, or life at somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh, and there's a really good chance that I will respond to your question this weekend. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, hop on iTunes and leave a review for the show. Every Saturday, I pick one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money session with me. And so if this is something that you'd like to do, go to iTunes, leave a review, and hopefully we will connect. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. I hope your day is so money.